Hey, what's up? This is Jason from Centerpoint Church in Hendersonville, Tennessee. We're so excited to be able to spend some time with you today. We hope that this message from God inspires you and makes you continue living life on purpose and for a purpose. Let's dive right in. Centerpoint, is there anyone who's excited to be in the house of the Lord today? Come on, come on. Full disclosure, this morning has been a bit of a nightmare. Uh, we show up and there's no water, toilets aren't working, we're dealing with gremlins and the audio equipment, just lots of little things, but, but here's what's encouraging to me, is that the Holy Spirit doesn't need electrical equipment to work, it doesn't need plumbing to work to have a movement of God, and I'm a firm believer that the devil will attack what he's afraid of, so I need you to expect God to move in the house today, because it appears as if the devil is doing everything he can to stop it. But the good news is, is that the devil has no authority where the name of Jesus Christ is spoken. Can I get an amen? Amen. 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 I want to welcome everybody who is with us online. If you're tuning in via Facebook, if you're watching on our YouTube page, we are thankful that you are here and we are holding down the fort till you feel comfortable coming back. We'll continue to put this product out and uh, we're excited that God can speak to you where you are Wherever you are in life, wherever you are physically, proximity doesn't matter to the Lord. And so we are excited to continue this series called Normal People. We're going to actually be wrapping up this collection of talks. And, and so if it's your first week here, then I encourage you to go back and watch the previous two. I think they were fantastic, uh, but I'm a little biased. But I, uh, I encourage you. So what we're doing during this series is we're, we're talking about, we're, we're looking at all of the different people in the Bible that God used in big ways. And what are some common denominators amongst those people? And how can we apply that to our lives? That's what we're doing. Like God uses normal people every day. So as we're looking at these different characteristics, this common denominator amongst all of these people, it's not what you would expect. It has nothing to do with race Gender, socioeconomic status has nothing to do with talents or gifts or if you can sing or if you can play guitar or all of these different things that man thinks are required for God what, to use you. Like what, what we've noticed and what we've been talking about, week one we talked about God uses people who have eyes to see, people who are aware of situations around them that have ears to hear when God is pushing them or nudging them or placing people right in front of them to be ministered to, but we're often just too busy to not have eyes to see opportunities to do things for the kingdom of heaven. Last week, if you remember last week, we talked about what? Does anybody remember? Nobody at home, I know you are screaming it out loud, willing to change. You gotta be willing to change. It's not a one-size-fits-all type of a calling, and you've gotta be willing to change. I, I probably should preach that one first again, and we'll just go back to back today, uh, but I'm hungry already, so we won't. And this week, we are wrapping it up. This week, I wanna talk about the, the heading is don't give up. Everybody say, don't give up. Don't give up. Listen, if you quit, you lose. If you don't quit, you have no choice but to win. Have you read Revelation? 
That's a good segue because today we're going to be talking about two different people. We're going to be talking about John who wrote Revelation, the beloved disciple. Sometimes he's referred to as John the Revelator. This is John, brother of James. This is John the disciple. But we're going to be talking about a part of John's life that you don't hear preached on very much. We're going to talk about John the old man, John at the end of his life. And then the other person we're talking about is Mary. Not Mary, the, the, the mother of Jesus. We're talking about Mary, who is the sister to Martha and Lazarus. And we're going to look at two different people. One gave up, one did not, and it had everything to do with expectations. When, why do we give up sometimes? Why do we just get discouraged? It's oftentimes because God doesn't meet the expectations that we set on him. Whether it's the timing or whether it's how he works. If we're honest, we set the expectation, and when God doesn't meet that, we become discouraged and we often give up. And that's what I want to talk about. I want you to write this down. I want you to tweet this, at Jason A. Baugh. I want you to tweet this, or, or just remember it. Life with Jesus isn't easier. Life with Jesus is better. I'm going to say it again because it was so good. I, I can hear your amening. I can hear your amen. Amen. Life with Jesus isn't easier, but life with Jesus is better. God never promised us that it would be easy. In fact, the opposite. Jesus recorded in the Gospel of John, he says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. Earlier he says, have peace, for I have overcome the world. Life is going to be difficult. Life is going to be tough, but the very last verse recorded in the Gospel of Matthew is Jesus when he says, but I will be with you always, even until the end of time. So let's talk about John for a moment. Now, this is John who wrote the Gospel, John, the beloved one, the one whom Jesus loves, and Peter's enemy for a while. I shouldn't say enemy, but they were in a bit of a rivalry, I think, if you read through the Gospels, pre-Pentecost, of fighting for like the love of Jesus. Whenever, whenever John writes, and you, you, you know he calls himself the one whom Jesus loves, you know Peter's kind of like, come on, he loves us all. Like, but, but, but this is much, much later in the life of John. I want to focus on John's mental state when he's writing the book of Revelation. Now, before we can get to that, you got to know a little bit about John. John was born approximately 6 AD. So that means he was pretty young during the time of Jesus, during the ministry of Jesus. In fact, most historians say that he was the youngest of the disciples by far. But we're not talking about young John. And I'm not even talking about John circa 30 to 35 AD. I'm talking about John at the end of his life. We're talking around 100 AD. He's about 95 years old, but it has nothing to do with his age. I, I want you to think about the season John would be in around 100 AD. Keep in mind, Jesus died somewhere approximately 33 to 35 AD. So Jesus has been gone a long time. Like it's been a long time since John spent time with the, the, the one he loves. He's the only one that dies a death that's not a martyr. But in his mind, I'm going to imagine he's the only one that didn't get to die a hero's death. 
He didn't get to die for the Lord. And here he is at 95 years old, and the world seems to have forgotten him. There was a time when crowds would be around to hear what Jesus had to say. There was a time when he was a part of this movement of God, but that was so long ago. And, and I want you to imagine that now all of his friends have died. All of the opportunities to do some amazing things seem to have slipped through his fingers. You would think he would say, I am now past my prime. I have expired on my shelf life. And here's the part that I think really we need to understand. Because we've got to have some background so that we know the power of these words that were written. The Roman Empire is still in power. Like we heard... For generations, this prophecy of this Messiah who was going to come, and everybody thought he was going to upend the Roman Empire, the evil bad guys that are in power. They're evil. They're cruel. I mean, they're literally like feeding Christians to lions. They're dipping them in tar and lighting them on fire and using them as candles as dinner party, like dinner parties. This is, this is evil. And Jesus was supposed to come and turn it all upside down. He was going to be the returning, conquering king. And yet he, he washes feet and he dies. And yet he comes back from the dead. But, but at this point, that was decades ago when people are starting to ask, did that really happen? Because now John is exiled to this island of Patmos. About two years ago, I got to go to Patmos. It's desolate. There ain't much there. And he's exiled by the Roman emperor, Domitian who's also evil, still in power. And now he gets exiled to this island for what? For prophesying, for saying the things that God told him to do. But the, the Roman Empire has now labeled him an enemy of Rome. And, and they chalk that up to divination and say that it's witchcraft. So he gets exiled most people say that he was blind at this time, which is why he had somebody write for him the revelation that God gave him. This would be a great time to give up. Have you ever been in that season of life where it feels like it's been a long time since you had an experience with Jesus? Like, you say prayers, but like, I haven't felt Jesus in a long time. I haven't seen him move, and I feel a little hidden. I feel like I've disappeared, like I'm a ghost, like I'm alone in a room and, and I haven't been used in a long time. I would imagine that that's probably where John's headspace is when God gives him the greatest revelation that he's ever given a human. Now this is John who was at the cross when Jesus died and Jesus said, take care of my mother, Mary. But that was decades ago. And he receives the revelation. This would be a great time to give up. But I want you to hear how he starts off Revelation. And this is going to show you the power of what God can do, even in the most darkest, desolate of times. I want you to hear this. This is in Revelation chapter 1. We have it up on the screen for you if you need it. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who testifies everything he saw, that the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. And then here's the part, verse three. This is the part we don't get lost, we skip a lot of times. 
Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take heart to what is written because the time is near. So Revelation is letting, is letting the, the, the people at the time know what's about to come, but it's still speaking to us almost 2,000 years later of what we can expect in the final days. But more than that, look at this. Verse 3 says that you are blessed if you take the time to read it out loud. So simply by just hearing those words, John writes, the Holy Spirit inspires, that you are blessed just simply by hearing these words out loud. So here we are thousands of years later, still receiving blessings from the revelation that God gave John. And we still can find comfort, even now, knowing in the darkest of times that when you read Revelation, God wins. What a blessing for millions and millions and millions of believers, generations and generations after John is gone from this physical world. I want to show you something, and, and I'm using a deck of cards. Now, I am in no way promoting gambling. I am in no way saying that you should play poker. But I'm saying that if you are going to play poker, don't play with me. And if you do play with me, make sure you tithe on that money that you win at centerpointtn.com slash give. <laughs> but I want to show you something. Now, this is to take something that is very common that we are all familiar with, take a deep theological truth, use something that we're all familiar with to show you. This is the equivalent, I shouldn't have said that, no. This is the same idea that Jesus used. I shouldn't say I'm the equivalent of Jesus teaching you, but when he used a fig tree, when he would use sheep, when he would use just basic things that people understood and attach deep theological truth. So before you have the email sending to me that says, you, you use the cards and, and, and forget it. I'm, I'm just showing you something. Now, now here's how it works in my life. And we'll see if it works in your life. But, but God, I, early on, as I started to kind of figure out who I am and what gifts I have, and, and, and I, I look at this, this hand of cards and I'm looking around, much like when you first get your hand of cards in a poker game, and I'm like, there ain't a whole lot here. Like, this doesn't look like very much. I don't even have an ace. I certainly don't have a jack or a king, no face cards. Like, I got a seven-deuce offsuit, and like, there's just not a whole lot going on in this, this deck of cards. And, and as you start kind of just going through life, you start to kind of look and see, and a lot of times it's when you look back and you're like, okay. Okay, there's, there's, there's something going on here. I see it. And, and, and now things kind of start lining up a little bit for you. And you're like, okay, I have, I have a two, three, and a four. And, and like, it's a straight, almost. I'm just so close yet so far away from a straight. Now, if you, you play cards, which I most certainly do not, You know this moniker, these things that these people say. They say, you'll go broke chasing a straight. You ever heard that? And you will. Most of the time, like, you're waiting for the turn. You're waiting on the river. Again, I don't play cards. I just memorize these terms to study for this, this sermon. But, but, like, you're waiting, and you're like, okay, please, please, please be a five. Please be a five. And, 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 then, and then you get to five, and you're like, this is, I'm so close to a royal flush. This is unbelievable. If they're offsuit, it's just a straight 
Again, I, I memorized that. And, and like, so, so you're waiting, but can I tell you that this is the spot where we normally give up, and here's why. is because we are expecting God to react in a certain way and on our timeline. And if he doesn't, then we think God doesn't care. If he doesn't, we think God isn't sovereign. And, and, and I want you to think for just a second. I want you to think what that must feel like to God when, when you basically say, God, I think you made a mistake here. I trust you with a lot of things, God, but when it came to this, like you didn't answer my prayer. Like you, you didn't do what I thought you should do at this time, so therefore I'm going to give up on you and, and, and just kind of give up on future blessings. And, and what would that be like to the creator of the universe? And what would that make him feel like with your guys' relationship? Because you remember, like with God, we, we have a relationship. And what would it be like if you're married and your spouse all of a sudden like stopped believing in your character and stopped believing that you cared for him or her. Like what would that do in the context of a relationship? And, and that's what I do to God so much. And oftentimes I wonder like when you're one card away from your straight, like don't think the devil isn't sensing that. And don't think that those are the times where he's going to mess with your mind. Don't think that those are the times where he's not going to attack you the hardest because he knows that you are just one turn away from getting your straight. Like you're one turn away from the miracle that you've been praying for, but you give up at that spot. And I wonder if that's where John's headspace was at that time. Like at that point, you would just want to die. He's probably exhausted. He's lonely. It feels hidden. And what would have happened if he would have gave up before he allowed God to give him the revelation, like he allowed himself to have ears to hear and eyes to see what God has for him. I, I, I wanted us to focus again now on Mary. Again, we, we talked about this earlier. I, I want us to talk about Mary. Now, Mary is the key to unmet expectations. I'm just going to throw these over there because I tried to put it away and be smooth and you all saw me struggling, so <laughs> there they are. But I, I want you to think for a moment about Mary. Now, now let me give you a, a, a little bit of context. So we're going to talk about the story of Lazarus. But don't for a second think that Lazarus is the key to this. He's not the main focal point of the story. If you know the story, Lazarus dies. Jesus raises him from the dead. But it has nothing to do with Lazarus. How do you know that? Because we have no recorded words of Lazarus anywhere in the word of God. And not only that, spoiler alert, he dies again. Jesus didn't come to the earth to make people who are sick well again. He didn't even come to make people who were physically dead physically alive again. Oh, no, no, it's so much more than that. He came to show the world that he is the resurrection and the life. And that's what we're going to talk about. So, so we have this idea that we have written in Scripture that Jesus is close to this family. We know that he's close to this family because when Lazarus falls sick, his sisters, Mary and Martha, send a messenger to Jesus. Now, just that fact right there should show you that they're close. Because it's really hard to know where Jesus is at this time. Like, he didn't have that GPS or the JPS. <laughs> That's a good pastor joke right there. We didn't have that. Like, Jesus was nomadic. He'd move around. So knowing where he is right off the bat is not easy, but they knew. Well, it implies that they would have been close. And not only that, but, but the message they sent to Jesus didn't even say Lazarus is sick. 
Scripture tells us that it just says, the one whom you love is sick and close to death. But Mary's about to have her expectations not met. You, I mean, like, we're close friends with Jesus. Like, surely he's going to drop what he's doing when he finds out that Lazarus is about to die and come straight to Bethany. Like, surely he's going to be close, but Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus takes a sweet time and waits, and now Lazarus dies. That doesn't make any sense. Surely God wouldn't want somebody to die. Surely God wouldn't want someone to get sick. Like, surely, like, he's here, like, for us to just kind of rub the lamp, and then he pops out, and he says, what would you like? And we said, we would like this person to be healed, and we would like this job, and we would like that, and he would just grant it, right? Surely, no, no, no. And so Mary's about to experience unmet expectations. And, and now, now, her sister Martha, and we're going to be reading this out of John's gospel, her sister Martha is like the female equivalent of, of Peter. Like, she's about to go meet Jesus when he comes into town, and she's about to give him a piece of her mind. <laughs> like, that takes, that takes courage to yell at Jesus and say, if you were only here, my brother could be healed, but you didn't. Woman's got guts. Some of you are married to women like that. Don't raise your hand. But it's so much more than that. There's a lot of factors going into place. First of all, Jesus can't enter this town and enter the region of Jerusalem yet because once he does, he'll never leave again. And so there's a perfect timing associated with Passover of when Jesus has to make where he's, he, he needs to go. And it's so much a bigger picture than just one family. There's a lot of factors into play here. But we get so caught up like just in our own little world and like we want God to be able to answer what we need when we need it. Like it's a vending machine. John chapter 11, verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. How many days? Four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. I want you to, to focus on that word, many. Many Jews had come to comfort them. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Underline that. But Mary stayed home. Why would Mary stay home when Jesus was coming to town? Scripture doesn't exactly tell us, but it implies that it was too late. I'm sure she was probably a little angry because you were just a few miles away. You could have been here, but you weren't. So she stays home. Now, oftentimes, we stay home now, this doesn't necessarily mean physically. You may physically have been coming to church for a while, but mentally and spiritually, you stay home. Why? Most of the time, it's because of unmet expectations. It's really hard to have an argument with people when they say, if God is real, then why does blank exist in the world? That's a hard argument to make. And it's easy to stay home. You'd think that God would come down and all of the evil people that do terrible things to people, that he would just zap them. Like, that's what I would do if I were God. 
right? The same way that Jesus was supposed to come and get rid of all of the Roman Empire. But it didn't happen. Mary stayed home because it's too late. You didn't do the thing I was asking you to do. I've been praying for it, God. I'm a good little Christian. I show up to church. I give my tithe. Why don't you answer this? What good could come out of this? There's a whole lot more going on than just what we see in front of us. And we're about to see that. So imagine the scene now. Jesus shows up. At the time, like, people would kind of follow Jesus around because they wanted to see what was going on. But not only that, it says many Jews came to comfort Mary and Martha during this time. And, and, and actually what you, would happen, what you would see happen at this time is they, in, some, in some cultures they still do this today, it's professional mourners. Like their job is to go to funerals and cry and wail and make a scene. Now that's a weird job to have, right? Why we, on earth would you want somebody to do that? Because if you have people show up to your funeral and they're like, oh, we miss you so much. Ah, it's going to make them feel important or even seem important. So literally there were people that would come around and that's what they did for a job. So if you're one of those people that like, you know, loves Nicholas Sparks movies and you cry a lot and stuff, this could be the career for you. So you have this crowd that is wailing, that is mourning. You have people that are playing instruments and what they're doing is pagan rituals. And it's important that Lazarus was dead for four days because culturally they believed that if you just cried loud enough, if you wailed hard enough, you might be able to convince the spirit to come back into the body. You had three days. But Jesus waited four days. Well, there's a bigger picture. People that are used by God don't give up. They don't stay home. If you want to be used by God, you're going to face some opposition. You're going to face some disappointments. You're going to face some unmet expectations. But the difference between people used by God and people not used by God is they don't give up. Verse 21. This is what I love. This is Martha giving Jesus a piece of her mind. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, there's this whole conversation going on right now where Jesus is talking on one level and, and poor Martha just sees it on the human level, but it's almost funny. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. She's talking about the day of the Lord after the tribulation or however you view that timeline. But she's talking about when Jesus comes back one more time for the saints. But Jesus is talking about, no, no, like he's about to come back in just a few minutes. Just wait. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even though they die. And it says earlier, they will live. Now imagine how confusing this would be for poor Martha. I believe in you, but I, but I died. But now you're going to say that I, I'm going to live. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And I'd be like, can we rewind that and watch it again? Where's the instant replay? Because I'm super confused. Yes, Lord, she replies. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come, come into this world. After she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. This is my favorite part. The teacher is here, she said, and he's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. 
That's the gospel right there. Don't let that pass you by. It's hidden in this, uh, this tiny little bit in this big story. We focus on Lazarus being raised, but there's so many more things going on. Listen to this. So first of all, Mary stayed home, right? Now, if I was Jesus, I'd be like, you know me. You know my character. We're friends, and you just gave up on me the moment that I didn't meet what you expected. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus asks Martha, where is Mary? Calls her by name and says, go get her. See, even during times when we give up, even during times when we question God, he never stops pursuing us. He didn't hold that against Mary. In fact, he called her by name and said, come to me, daughter. Come on. Come on, I get it. It's not easy. I get it. It's hard to see things from an eternal perspective when we're here in a physical world. But I'm gonna call you by name. The other part that is interesting here is that this was all a setup for Jesus to make one of his seven I am statements recorded in the Gospel of John when he says, I am the resurrection and the life. What he is declaring right here is, is that if you believe in me, you will live forever. Mary failed that first initial test, but can I tell you this? We never actually fail a test from God. And some of you need to hear this today. If there's one thing you're going to walk away with, walk away with this. We never actually fail a test from God. We simply get incompletes. And we can get another try and another try and another try, and those tests actually just get more and more difficult. I know this from experience. The first thing was, for me, was are you going to give up your Sunday mornings watching football to go to church consistently? You know, I know that sounds stupid, but, but for me that was a test, and I failed it many times. Got incompletes many times. And then the next one was, are you going to make the decisions of your life and cut things out that you need necessary to hear from the Holy Spirit even more? The next one is, are you going to be faithful in your giving and trust me that I'll provide the rest if you give me the first tenth? And, and, and then it was, are you going to quit your job and go work in full-time ministry? And then it was, are you going to move your family to a city where you don't know anybody, to a church where half the people don't want you? Like, are you going to be willing to do that? Like, and, and every time, I didn't always pass it right away, but the tests get more difficult. I have no idea what's happening next, but we're at the point now where we're like, hey, We've given it all up. I drive a car that has a cassette player in it. Like, at this point, I'd like that to be a joke, but it's not. I can't open the trunk. It's literally jammed shut. And I've got three degrees. They're useless. But at this point, okay, what's next? Some of you have failed a test recently with God. I don't know what it is. It might be a test of purity. It might be a financial test. It might be a test of serving and getting plugged in. I don't know what it is. But it's just simply an incomplete. Don't stay home. God is calling for you by name today. I want to wrap it up with this is I want to wrap it up with, with what Paul is writing to the church of Corinthians. I want you when, you, when you go through your Bible, read the letters that Paul wrote. 
And Paul is writing to a church that's under massive persecution. Now, <laughs> now, massive persecution for you and I is like someone blocked us on social media, right? <laughs> or massive persecution is when your political candidate doesn't win or when someone like, you know, makes fun of you for liking a certain political candidate of some sort. That is not persecution. And if it is, it's not at all what the Christian church is dealing with during this time. And so Paul is writing to the church to tell them, I know that your family members are being torn to shreds by wild animals at the Colosseum for simply elevating the name of Jesus. I know that your businesses are being shut down because you're socially ostracized, because you're following the way of Yahweh. I know that you have no friends. I know that you are suffering, but I am here to tell you that it is worth it. There is something bigger than what is going on in front of us. And these are the words that Paul is writing to the the church of Corinth, and I think that they still have value to us today. I think they can still echo in our lives and remind us during difficult times, during times where what God does doesn't make sense. When we lose a spouse, when we lose someone that we love, when we lose a job, when some situation happens that doesn't make sense to us, that is why we have the word of God. It is our playbook to get through these difficult times. But, but often it just sits on the bookshelf collecting dust and then we wonder why we don't actually understand the heart of God, the character of God. So I want you to hear this. This is in 2 Corinthians. Now these are not just words in a, in a page. This, this was a lifeline. This was encouragement to people who needed it. Chapter four, verse 16. Therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away. Yet inwardly, listen to this, we are being renewed day by day for our light and monetary troubles are achieving for us. Light and monetary, keep in mind, as your family is being killed simply for elevating the name of Jesus. Light and, I'd be like, you think that's light? An eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Verse 18, this is the whole crux. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary. What is unseen is eternal. I had a family member that died unexpectedly, young, very young, a while ago. And that's really hard to have that conversation with his mom as to why God would allow that to happen. I wish somebody would have told me back then that it wasn't my job to justify and explain what God does. But at his funeral, two of his classmates gave their lives to the Lord. So I ask you, from an eternal perspective, is that a win or is that a loss? That someone physically on earth Missed a few decades of this life, but because of that, to be absent with the body is to be present with the Lord, and he's bringing two of his classmates with him that were destined for hell. That is what is unseen. What is seen doesn't always make sense. But God is putting together. Ravi Zacharias calls him the great weaver. He's weaving together a tapestry that we will not understand till one day when we look back and we see that our strength was there all along if we would have just simply trusted the process. My grandfather was a preacher. 
And during the time of his life, there was no evidence whatsoever that I was ever going to be even a man of God, let alone a preacher. And he died a while ago. We just celebrated his birthday. And, and here's the thing. When he died, he left me something. And my grandma told me he left me something. And I thought, oh, dude, he left me a bag of gold coins. I'm quitting my job. I've already got what I'm going to say to my boss and say, who's coming with me? Like, I was ready. Like, I'm going to be rich now. Surely my grandpa left me that. He, he was a preacher, so he didn't have very much money. But, but don't let facts get in the way of a good daydream. And, and so I'm sitting here thinking, like, my gosh, I can't wait to see what this is. And it was a book. It was a biblical commentary with all of his sermon notes handwritten. I got to tell you that I was disappointed. I really was. I tell you this, though. Jason, back then, what was seen, the prideful, selfish young man, strapped and chained down by habitual sin, lack of self-worth, bitterness, over a parent's divorce. And yet my grandfather, even in his death, spoke life into his grandson's future because he was not focused on what was seen. He was focusing on what was unseen. And so whatever your situation is today, I want to speak that over you. If it's a child who's living a wayward lifestyle right now, let's focus on what is unseen. And during the times when God appears to be silent, oh, he takes no days off. And he is at work. But he is at work for a bigger purpose than we can often see. And here we are now, 15 years later. And the words that my grandfather spoke to me, even after he was gone in the physical world, are still motivating me today, still bringing me encouragement. So let's not be so naive to think that God is only using us during our time here on earth. God can use a legacy that you leave for decades after you're gone if we don't give up. Would you pray with me? Please stand. If you'll bow your head and close your eyes with me, I, I want to just pray over your situation wherever you are. Maybe you're in a spot where you've got some unmet expectations. I want to pray over that. I'm not saying that it's easy, but we were never promised easy. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray for each human being, each soul that your word says you knit together in their mother's womb, God. I pray for that situation that they're in. And Lord, I don't mean to minimize what they're going through, but I do mean to maximize what Jesus did on the cross. And I pray just that we can have eyes to see, that we can be willing to change, and that you help us not give up. We can't control what we go through, but we can control how we go through it. And whatever the situation is, the crowd of people that are around us, may they see our faith in you, God. May they be drawn to you, Lord. I pray for each and every person and in their situation, God, that you would give them comfort, that you would give them peace, and that you would give them the idea to know that what is unseen is eternal. May we focus on that 
and trust in you in the process, Lord. I love you. I praise you. And I would do anything for you. And all God's people said, amen. Can we give God a shout of praise today? Thank you so much for spending some time with us today. If this message inspired you in any way, we would love to hear your story. If you made a decision of any kind, we want to hear that as well. Please reach out to us on any of our platforms at CenterpointTN, or you can go to CenterpointTN.com and click on Contact Us. We would love to partner with you. We would love to pray for you, and we want to hear more about you and your story and what God is doing in your life. If there's any way that you want to financially partner with us, you can do that as well at centerpointtn.com. Click on the Give button. We're excited to be going through this journey together and excited about what God is doing in your life.